Welcome to episode 75 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. This is the great, great conjunction episode. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers. That means we do astronomy just for the fun of it. And this podcast is how we share the fun of astronomy and looking up in the nighttime sky with you. Shane, did you watch the mandatory conjunction video I sent you? Before I answer that, I thought this was just a great conjunction, not a great, great conjunction. Well, no, see, the conjunction is great, but the episode oh. is also great. Oh, now I understand. Okay, okay, <laughs> perfect. So this is the great episode of the great conjunction. There you go. Got it, got it. Okay, All makes right. sense now. How Did I watch video? the video? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's four minutes I won't get back, unfortunately, so, but... So I grew up on American cartoons. So I, I lived very close to the States uh, in, in sort of rural Canada. And uh, as such, we didn't get Canadian uh, broadcasts. And so, uh, or not very much anyway, you got CBC, CTV, and that was it. Uh, everything else came from the States. And so uh, when I watched cartoons on Saturday morning, I got the American cartoons and they used to have these amazing public service announcements for educational content between Hanna-Barbera and Looney Tunes. And one of those was the conjunction, what is it called? Conjunction function or something like that. Anyways, about conjunctions. It wasn't about planetary conjunctions. It was about conjunction words. They're amazing public service announcements, educational content, because the OR car, the OR car was full of OR. I thought that was amazing. <laughs> okay, so before we begin, we're, we're going to talk about the actual conjunction in the sky of Jupiter and Saturn and, uh, and how to observe this. But before we go any further, I thought I would have a little fun and look up and see what the astrologers were saying about this because Ooh. it always seems like when there's, there's such events, the astrologers... Um, you know, they'll, they'll write a fair bit about what it means for, for people's uh, lives. So to clarify, though, I'm going to clarify this first. Astrologers are the people who use the stars to foretell the future of humans, while astronomers are the scientists who tell the future of the stars. Oh, wow. But, we but we're amateur astronomers. So that just means we just we just look at the stars. We just look at things, yeah. So, so that that's all good. But when I, when I started looking into this, I became so confused and baffled by what the astrologers were saying. I didn't even want to put it in the podcast because I just, I couldn't have explained it to you at all. Well, and in all fairness, people that want to listen to, um, you know, the, the fortunes or, or the, whatever the astrologers have to say, there's probably podcasts for that anyway. So I, I believe there is. Yeah. I've never listened to one. Um, yeah, I just remember that during the transit of Venus, I had uh, individuals contacting me, and it was uh, it was very interesting their thoughts on on what the transit of Venus would mean, and uh, it, it was interesting that they they were looking for I forget I had some materials on it and they wanted the materials and I'm like anyway it, it didn't make any sense so Shane what is the Great Conjunction? Well, Saturn and Jupiter um, will appear exceptionally close, um, and this is happening on December 21st. So when this podcast comes out, it will just be days away. And um, this conjunction is, is really the closest, uh, what, the, the best quote or the best reference I heard to this was, this is the closest conjunction of these two planets in the telescope age. 
Mm -hmm. uh, they will be one tenth of one degree apart, which mm -hmm. is really, really close. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it is, uh, it is a, a fairly good event. Um, how far is one tenth of one degree? How, how big is a degree again? Just so people kind of, kind of have this, we can give them kind of a bit of a handy uh, sky measurement tool here that most people will be uh, in possession of. Yeah. So if you hold your arm out, uh, you know, extend your arm in front of you and hold up one finger against the sky, uh, you know, you're looking at about one degree there. Yeah. Or maybe just a little bit more. Yeah. Your fist, yeah. your fist at arm's length is going to be 10 degrees. Uh, so one tenth of that uh, is going to be one degree and one tenth of that is going to be one tenth of one degree, which is how far apart these planets are going to be. So as mentioned, we are amateur astronomers. We are visual observers. But uh, why that, or maybe I should just why that is important is that um, we're really used to looking at the night sky and witnessing events for ourselves. And this is where our expertise comes into play. Uh, so with that in mind, we're, we're going to kind of give you some uh, information on how to equip yourself uh, for doing this. So Shane, should people really be focused only on the night of the 21st? Like they're saying in the media, people are getting really focused on this one night. What are your thoughts on this as a one night event? Not at all. Not at no. all. This event really, to me, starts at about, well, in, any time right now, but um, on December the 16th, uh, these two planets will be about a third of a degree apart. Mm -hmm. So that is still closer than I think all but two of the previous conjunctions in the telescope mm -hmm. age. So even if you only see it, then you've still probably seen them closer than just about anybody else uh, alive. Um, it, 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 it's such a great opportunity, the week leading up and even the you know mm -hmm. days after. Um, so yeah, start observing it now. And then you're, you're sort of doubling down in a way, right? Because if December the 21st is cloudy around you, right. um, you've at least seen them exceptionally close, probably closer than anybody else, um, you know, with the exception of those that see it on the 21st. But still, it's uh, it, it, the, the media, and I think you probably were going to get onto this, so maybe I'm stealing some, of your, you go. some of your words. But, you know, the media tends to make a big deal out of these events. And, and in this case, it's rightfully so. Like December the 21st will be an exceptional view if you get to have it. But the view on December the 18th or the 19th or any of these other days will or still be exceptional. 23rd, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, there's my little rant. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll kind of build on your rant because... So in, in some of the interviews and in some of the articles, and, and these are not just, these are reputable sources by reputable astronomers, like astrophysics astronomers, of which we're not. We're just people who look at the sky. They really focused on this being an event that hasn't occurred for 800 years. And I was like, what is going on? Because I remember one of these happened since I've been doing astronomy. And there was, I, I, I looked it up. There was one that occurred. There was a great conjunction between Jupiter and Saturn in 2000. Um, it was close to the sun, but it was 15 degrees away from the sun, which is a fist and a half. And I remember, I, I don't think I tried to see it, but I remember people were trying to see it. Now that is a difficult thing to observe. Um, but there was also three such events in 1981 there was, a, I think, one or two in 1961 and a, a couple in the, the 1940, 1941 range. 
Um, then I was like, where does this 800 year comment come from? So where that comes from, it takes 800 years for the cycle of Jupiter and Saturn to complete. And so they're kind of back to where they were. I think it's like 796 years ago or something like that. Um, but, but these great conjunctions between Jupiter and Saturn, they occur about every 20 years. But this is the best one that we're going to have to look at in our lifetimes, very likely. Um, so anyway, you, you've got something written here in red. I'm going to let you, you sort of run with this. Yeah, so I, I kind of mentioned some of this already about um, on December the 16th, it will be a third of a degree apart, um, which is exceptionally close. Like um, the ones that have occurred in recent times, um, let me just bring up my chart here, um, have, have been quite close, but they've all, a lot of them have been over one degree apart. Mm-hmm. So like, I don't want to understate that one degree is still very, very close, but when you're one tenth of one degree, that's what makes this one so special. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it, it's definitely worth making an effort to see this, um, because the next time that these two planets will be less than one degree apart will be in the year 2080. And, you know, Chris, I'm not sure about you, but I don't know if I'm going to live into triple digits, so I'm not going to wait for 2080. I'm, I'm going to make every effort to see it in the and, coming and, week. And pe- people should know as we were, as we were, uh, getting ready for this podcast, Sheen, Shane was going on about his uh, his penchant for high salt and pickled foods, um, so that, that that could be more accurate than <laughs> P- pickled foods and sausage. Uh, you know, I'm I'm enough. trying to make it, but uh, but I, I may be doing the podcast solo. But I'm just kidding. All right. So if people want a good article, because I, I really like to point people towards a good article that that does an excellent job of explaining this, um, probably better than we do today, and it's a it's a great magazine. Uh, is Sky uh, at Night magazine. It's a UK-based magazine. And they give a great, it's, it's online. It's free. You can, uh, for this article anyway, the magazine is not free. Um, and they go into great detail on all this. So uh, if you just go to skyatnightmagazine.com, it's under the advice skills and great conjunction. So um, let's see. I'm also being told that my Windows needs to update. So maybe I can leave that <laughs> until 2080. All right. The, the Sky at Night magazine, the BBC Sky at Night magazine, I think is one of the best, if not the best out there. I love reading it. It's it's fantastic. Like they're they cover so many different topics, but they do it really from an amateur's perspective. And I love it. Yeah, it, anyway, it is a little plug is, there. Yeah, it is really good. And they and they actually have in that article, um, it's really neat. They actually show uh, the distance sort of night to night. Uh, as we as we get into the 21st mm-hmm. and they do really focus on how you can observe this occurring uh, for, on, on the nights leading up to it uh, that I don't think they do much after it but but still even even after you'll, you'll get the idea there um, very very good article by uh, by reputable uh, visual observing uh, magazine they, they also have lots of good astrophysical content in there and great interviews with astrophysicists too if that's your that's your thing. So um, in looking at uh, the, the articles online and some of the other stuff, um, these great conjunctions occur in, uh, in these sequences that, that, that make it appear um, as though, at least uh, from our perspective, one way or another, uh, that, that the great conjunctions are 117 degrees apart. So they form this kind of weird overhead triangle. And the best uh, piece of work to take a look at this is in Johannes Kepler's, and it's called De Stella Nova. Um, 
which is actually a work I'm quite familiar with <laughs> because I think it's it's one of the great cornerstone works of uh, of astronomy uh, by really the father of uh, of many of the uh, uh, well the laws of planetary motion is what they are and uh, this came out in 1606 so just just before the telescope uh, was being used in the nighttime sky in 1609 by Galileo so it's really in that that Galileo time frame. Um, so if you're a fan of the history of astronomy as well, I, I would say take a look at De Stella Nova. You can get it on the Internet Archive. Um, that, that would be in Latin. I'm sure there's and I know there's good translations uh, of it out there. But let's move ahead. I'm going to talk about how the conjunction happens, and then we're going to talk about how to observe it. So um, maybe I'll just ask Shane, what is a conjunction anyway? Like what is just basically a conjunction? Well, it's when uh, two astronomical objects appear to have either the same right ascension or the same ecliptic longitude as seen from Earth. So really, you know, that's the technical definition or the true definition. But really what it means is these objects, any, you know, two objects or more uh, will be so close in the sky that you can typically fit them in like a very uh, wide field of view or in this case, sometimes a narrow field of view. Mm -hmm. um, but often like within a binocular field, we'll, we'll show this off. But what is so rare about this one is that Jupiter and Saturn will essentially look like one bright star is what we're expecting. Mm -hmm. um, and even through a high teles or high powered telescope, uh, you know, they're going to be exceptionally close. Like mm -hmm. some, some of these things, like in the previous episode, you and I were talking about our love of wide field observing. And really, if you want to take in all of Malat 20, you probably need at least a three degree field of view. Well, you know, with this conjunction, you could look through a straw and see both of these things, like mm -hmm. both Jupiter and Saturn. So they will be so close. Yeah, I think I looked and uh, I, I can't remember whether I was talking to you or somebody else about this, but I was looking at the planetarium software and now um, Saturn will be in, in a different spot. I think it's sort of like, uh, I think it's going to be just north of Jupiter, um, but it's only going to be about as far away as I think uh, Ganymede gets from from Jupiter. So uh, wow. I think Ganymede can, can get as far as, as about, I mean, you know, this is all within a few tenths of a of a degree anyway. So it's, it's pretty amazing that, uh, that it's going to be sitting right there. So a typical high power eyepiece view of Jupiter is, is going to have, uh, the moons in it anyway. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I think that even well above and, and well into those mid hundred powers, you're, you're going to be able to see, uh, Jupiter on all the moons uh, as well as Saturn and the rings. I've been testing this out and, uh, yeah, the, you know, the sky that low, at least for us, things are a little bit murky. So uh, mm -hmm. you're really going to be doing good just to, just to see the rings and to see the ball of Saturn. I couldn't see detail uh, on Saturn and, uh, and on Jupiter. Maybe I can start to see some, some detail with them this low. Uh, they're not as good as they were a few months ago, but really just, just to be able to see them sort of all in the same field. So I want to explain a little bit about this, uh, the way this conjunction actually works with Jupiter and Saturn. Um, as mentioned, they're, they're in conjunction about every 20 years. As, as we mentioned, um, there was one about, uh, I think it was in May of, of 2000 and then uh, 1981 and then uh, 1961 and 1940 or 1941. Um, so they occur on or about uh, these, these 20 year intervals. Uh, and this is because Jupiter orbit, Jupiter's orbit is just uh, under 12 years. 
and Saturn's orbit is just under 29 and a half years. So what happens because of that, sort of on the, on the racetrack of the solar system, uh, it takes uh, about 20 years in Earth time, like on, you know, because we're dealing on our own orbit, um, for those, those planets to line up as seen from Earth. So basically at the time of the great conjunctions, what we are witnessing, and this is the really cool part from an observational visual observer perspective is we're actually watching Jupiter overtake Saturn on the inside track of the racetrack of our solar system. And that's super cool to see because you can actually see something changing kind of in real time or at least over a few nights. And that's our point here with this podcast today. Um, we're trying to get people to, to focus away from necessarily uh, that event as, as a December 21st event, because if you watch it leading up on the days, at least, at least that, that sort of uh, several days before the event and a few days after the event, you're going to witness uh, Jupiter actually passing Saturn uh, in our solar system. And I think, I think that's really what makes the event. It's going to be really cool when they're very close in the sky, how much detail we see through a telescope. Interesting, but not that much detail. It's going to be interesting. Uh, but the event really is this passing. And I think that's really what, uh, what makes this a sky event worth watching. What are your thoughts, Shane? Totally agree. Um, one of the things that fascinates me is uh, so, like solar system movement. Um, when you can see moons or planets moving through the eyepiece. And in particular, Jupiter is one of the better ones for that because you can often watch the uh, Galilean moons, you know, travel behind Jupiter and reappear or cross the face of Jupiter. Um, that kind of stuff is, is just fascinating to me because so many of the things that we look at while they're, while everything is moving, the scale is so large that everything really does appear static, you know, to our eyes and through a telescope. So to be able to see planetary movement or, or things in our solar system actually, you know, changing place in the sky, I think is just a, a phenomenal thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about when and where people can, can see this. Yeah. So um, you're going to need a, a pretty good view uh, to the Southwest um, and it needs to be unobstructed. Like you need to be able to see the horizon because they're going to be quite low in the sky. Um, so what I've done is, uh, well, actually it was last weekend. I went for a little drive because from my house, I can't see low enough. I, I, I don't have all of the Southwest sky. There's too many other houses and trees around me mm -hmm. uh, that blocks that. So um, where I live in the city, I don't have to travel too far until I'm just right out of the city. Um, so I, I drove about five to 10 minutes away from my house and, um, right on the edge of the city, there's a brand new school that is just being built and they have a, a really nice paved area where like, there's nothing but flat prairie in front of me. Um, which is one of the kind of the nice things about where you and I live, Chris, is it's, it's very flat. There's no mountains yeah. in our way. There's, there's really nothing that, uh, takes away our view. So, um, from that spot right there, I will have a wonderful, wonderful view of the southwest sky and uh, very easy to just park um, and, and, you know, put a telescope right beside the vehicle and um, take, take this all in. Nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think, yeah, looking, looking south, got to be in the northern hemisphere to be looking south um, to mm -hmm. see this. I think when you get to the southern hemisphere, you're, you're looking north, aren't you? Because... Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, you're going to be looking back towards the uh, ecliptic. 
Um, but you're right. You need a really good Southern horizon. I think I should be able to see it from my front driveway. So I guess, oh, wow. yeah, I think it definitely still is visible. I was looking at last week. I've already been observing this. I've really been watching uh, Jupiter and Saturn um, all year through binoculars and they, there's times they get closer and then they move apart. And then um, of course, now they're, they're readily, readily approaching each other. So um yeah, and, and it, it will be well visible, I think, up until the 24th. So uh, it should be, uh, should be pretty good. But how, how close will this conjunction look to your unaided eye? Like you're a double star observer. So I'm just wondering what this will look like to the unaided eye. So people without optical instruments uh, or people with binoculars and then, then people with telescopes. So Shane, do you think you'll be able to uh, split them? Apart? Well... I'm, I don't know. I, I'm definitely going to try uh, to, to split them just naked eye. Um, but I think it will be quite challenging. Um, so in terms of reference for how far apart they will be, what, what people can do or, or, you know, practice with leading up to this is in Ursa Major or the Big Dipper, uh, look for Miser and Elcor. Now, if you're not familiar with those, look them up on your planetary software or on any star map. Um, but those two are visible naked eye. And um, they are about twice as far apart as what Saturn and Jupiter will appear on the 21st. Now, I think that Miser and Elcor is a pretty easy naked eye split. Um, now, imagine them half the distance apart. Mm -hmm. I think that I could still split them. Um, I, I, I think it's quite possible. Um, however, when you're splitting double stars, or in this case, you know, two planets, there's more factors at play than just their, how far apart they'll be. Right. Um, there's magnitudes. So if there's uneven magnitudes with objects that you're trying to split, that can add to the challenge. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at Polaris through a telescope, it's actually a double star. Uh, but uh, I forget what Polaris's magnitude is. It's probably around magnitude five is my guess. Um, somewhere around there. Polaris? Uh, yeah. I think it's like two, isn't it? Or something like oh, that. Oh, is it that high? Yeah, okay, some, sure. Something like that. Sure. Yeah. Um, it's, it's quite bright, actually. But its companion star, I think, is magnitude 11. So it's quite a discrepancy. And that's not always an easy split, especially depending on the, uh, the size of aperture that you're using. Now, on the 21st, Jupiter will be magnitude negative 1.7. And Saturn will be positive 0.63. So they're close, but there's still enough of a variation there that it might, Jupiter's brightness might wash out the, like the distance between the two, which makes it difficult to, to separate. Um, oh, so, I, I looked it up. I was wrong. It's magnitude 1.97. So basically uh, it's magnitude two. <laughs> Jupiter. Uh, Polaris. Polaris. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that, so like just bright objects can be, difficult to, to separate. And then atmospheric conditions can add to that. And we know that these will be low on the horizon, which adds yeah. to some of that. Now, yeah. with all of that being said, there's something that's actually working in our favor that will help us potentially split these naked eye. Okay. And that's that the background will be more of a twilight sky rather than a real dark black sky. Okay. So because these objects are so bright, having a twilight as a backdrop will increase the chances because Jupiter and Saturn won't be so their brightness won't be so um, uh, what's the right word here? Like almost oversaturating, mm -hmm. you know, your view. Um, so 
try it out. You know, I'm curious, I'm curious if, you know, if you and I will be able to separate it, but I'm also curious if any of our listeners will uh, be able to separate it naked eye as well. Um, certainly through a telescope, there shouldn't be uh, a problem. Um, mm-hmm. The naked eye, uh, or even with binoculars, like binoculars low-powered binoculars. Be good, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, so, that should easily, easily bring them apart, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm very curious. I, I don't know if it's possible. Um, I think it is, but I guess we won't know until we try in a, in a week. Yeah, it should be interesting. I, I think you make a good point there, because when do you observe this? So, uh, you know, if you start going out on the, on the evenings, I think this is going to come out on the, on the 16th or 17th of December. So um, people should start going out as, as soon as possible uh, on that date um, forward. And, and then you want to go as soon as sun has set. Um, and get your view to the to the southern uh, south uh, sort of southwestern horizon, uh, and you'll see that uh, you know on the on the seventeenth anyway these will be still quite easily uh, separated, uh, but really getting close. It's going to look kind of like a, a very you know a, a very significant thing in the southern sky, and of course the further south you are, the higher up uh, they will appear. Right, so. Uh, we're at about 50 degrees north latitude, so they'll be a little low, but we have the advantage that it's dark all the time now here, at least that's what it seems like to me. So, uh, sure. yeah, we'll start to be able to see them at about 430, I think, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 you're right. You so know, and something no else joke. that I, I, I would recommend for anybody that is interested in in splitting these two is to do just a little bit of double star work prior to the event, just to get your eye trained to separating things. So, um if you're in the Northern hemisphere, I'd recommend Polaris. Uh, if you have a telescope, uh, see if you can find its companion, but the other one to work with is Miser and Elcor up in Ursa major. Um, see if you can split those naked eye. And then if you can put a telescope on Miser because it's a double itself and see if you can split that. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and that just training your eye to see the separation and understanding maybe some of the magnifications involved, I think might be a benefit actually, when you uh, try to separate Saturn and Jupiter. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, you know, I was looking up just, just to see how this might appear through the telescope and, and sorry, I think earlier I said Ganymede, but I, uh, I had looked it up and it was, uh, Callisto, uh, that gets about, uh, the same distance, at least around, around this time as, uh, as Saturn will be, um, but in, in my planetarium software, I put in um, my three and a half millimeter Pentax uh, bar load <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and I still get a field of view um, that would be uh, more than twice the separation of, uh, of these two planets. So that's kind of where we're at now, like you were saying, because it's low down, I actually think probably the maximum power um, that we'll be able to use from this far north and with these planets this low is probably going to be between about 75 and maybe a hundred and change, right? We're, we're just, yeah. we're going to be lucky to get a hundred power out of this. And uh, you know, it, it, do you have a good resource for looking at forecast? Is, am I reading this right here? You put a thing in here for forecasting. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, one of the things, uh, that is important is, is to know your weather forecast, whether or not you'll be clear skies in your location, or if there's maybe clear skies that you can drive to, uh, if you want to witness this, especially if seeing it on the 21st is important to you. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the resources that I really like, it's called Ventu Sky. So that's V E N T U 
S-K-Y, all one word. Okay. Um, it, it goes quite a ways into the future to show you forecasts. But what I like about it is um, you, can, you can look at the forecast for various hours throughout the day. So, you know, you can, for us, um, I think 3 p.m. or 6 p.m., they do it in three-hour increments. We can take a look to see what the cloud situation will look like, but it will show you um, every aspect of what they think the weather will be that day. So you can also look at wind, temperature, other things that are sort of important to consider for this uh, uh, observation. Um, clear skies are one thing, but if it's you know if you have hurricane force winds that day, you mm-hmm. may want to think about you know either like some wind protection or maybe a whole different location where there isn't uh, that much wind, you know? So uh, venture sky is is really good for that. Um, Now, the other neat thing is it's not just a static forecast in the future. Like this forecast for December 21st will change throughout the day today Mm -hmm. um, as they gain more information about, you know, what the jet stream is doing and other factors that impact the weather. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, if, it, if it's like that, you know, I'll probably just take binoculars and and uh, just observe from inside my car. We're definitely getting into the colder weather here now being uh, forecast into the minus 30 degrees Celsius range. So um, could, could have to be a little bit more creative than we would have been uh, the past couple of weeks. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I think one of the key things um, within, again, if if seeing it on the 21st is really important to anyone, uh, you have to be prepared to be flexible with your location because, um, you know, even though this venture sky looks quite a ways into the future, the real forecast that matters is the one that morning, you know, because weather can change so much, at least around here, it can certainly change a lot. And, um, you know, myself, I think, you know, weather conditions, uh, or, or sorry, road, if the road conditions cooperate, meaning there's not ice and, you know, dangerous things around, you know, I'll probably be ready to drive about two hours in any direction okay. I need to go to see this because I seeing it on the 21st is kind of important to me. Um, and I, you know, if it's within my means to make it happen, I certainly will do it. I guess you're reading your horoscope. Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yes. Good stuff. Yeah. I would, I would like to see it. I, I might take a bit of a drive. Uh, l- let me know what your plans are. Um, I'm really happy just to kind of watch it over, over the longer uh, duration to to witness that uh, the business of it actually passing. Because uh, mm-hmm. for me, that's, um, you know, that's kind of what uh, Kepler was doing, uh, you know, and, and Taika Brahe were doing back in the 1500s and early 1600s, uh, at least for Kepler, Brahe having died before the 1600s. Um, and, and I think that's kind of a really neat uh, observation to make, which can be made uh, with the with the unaided eye, and then again, uh, I, I would like to try to have a peek at it through at least one of my telescopes on that night. But you know, I really think that as far as a telescope goes, as far as equipment goes, Shane, I'm going to use a smaller telescope. I'm probably going to use my 60 millimeter telescope that night because I think that with the planets being so low down, um, the smaller the aperture, the less the seeing will impact my view. Um, and then my 60 millimeter is pretty sharp. So I, I think that's going to be, uh, my instrument of choice. And then as well, um, when I put a super low power eyepiece in, I kind of want to get like that six or seven degree true field of view. And then, then just see these two planets just basically creaming on top of each other, you know, <laughs> like just like mm-hmm. zooming in. I'm, I, you know, I'd like to see if I can kind of almost detect the motion, 
uh, of the planets as, as they pass. So I, I don't know, what, what are you thinking of for an instrument? Are you going to use like your 76? Or are you going to use a 60 millimeter or, or like your little 50 millimeter telescope you've been playing with? Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I haven't really decided yet, but um, one of the things that, uh, you know, I, I've read about, and I can't say I can confirm this, but that longer focal length telescopes sometimes handle bad seeing conditions mm -hmm. a little bit better due to yeah, the that's depth good of idea. focus. Yeah. So, you know, I was thinking if I take my 76, I would probably put that QX extender in it, okay. um, which, you know, simulates or extends the focal length to yeah. 969 millimeters. Um, but also like my little Franken scope that I've been talking about lately, like you mentioned, smaller aperture might be better. So that mm -hmm. thing is 60 millimeters with a 910 millimeter focal length. That so, could be good. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that could be good. Um, I'll take a variety of eyepieces. Uh, you know, I, I do want to, you know, see it in a wide field. So I'll take the widest field eyepiece that I can fit in whichever telescope I choose. Mm -hmm. uh, but then also a little bit of power um, just to see, because who knows, maybe we get lucky and, and the seeing conditions are good. That can be a benefit of the cold climate that we live in. Mm -hmm. um, but I also will have some binoculars in the back uh, just in case, um, you know, the for whatever reason, a telescope view, you know, isn't... Uh, uh, isn't possible or, or what have you. So I'll be ready with a couple different instruments. And um, uh, the key though, too, for me is I want to be out there kind of early, like, mm -hmm. um, you know, a to let the, the telescope optics to cool, but I just, mm -hmm. I want to be set up and ready to go uh, because this event will, will pass us by pretty quickly. Like if you can get out on the 21st, at least where we live, you know, we have a window to observe this before the planets actually get too low on the horizon. Mm -hmm. um, I think the time is going to go by very quickly. So mm -hmm. I don't want to be, you know, futzing around with deploying a tripod and telescope. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think I'll get there probably about 30 minutes uh, before the planets are even visible just to get yeah. all my equipment on the ground. I can, yeah. you know, warm up in the vehicle and then uh, spend some time outdoors uh, observing the whole event. Because my plan yeah. really is, as soon as these things are visible, I want to be observing Jupiter and Saturn until they're not yeah. visible. Because, because I think they're going to set, you know, within a within a, you know, a couple hours at, at most once once they are visible. Um, yeah. We are very quickly here losing daylight. It's pretty surprising the past uh, week or ten days. Um, cause, cause from 50 degrees North and, and I grew up at about 45 and, uh, it's pretty shocking the difference between 45 and 50. Uh, I did move to about 50, 40 degrees at one point in time. And there was some difference, but it really didn't seem like that much of a difference. We didn't really gain that much more darkness. You, you would notice it around summer solstice. You, you, you get about another half hour or so, and that was noticeable. Um, and then during winter solstice, you know, again, like another, it seemed like only another half hour of, of light maybe that you got, but, um, but here I find like it, it now almost seems like it's almost a little bit dark all the time. Um, like it's cloudy today. And I think the street lights are, are still on in places like, and, and I'm not joking or anything. Like it, it does seem to get that dark from time to time, even uh, during the middle of the day. So um, well, that, that is the, that's the shortest day of the year as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so I think for us, as, as soon as that sun uh, even approaches the horizon or, or if there's any cloud at all, uh, you know, we should be able to get them, uh, you know, immediately upon uh, sunset. But then, then I think by about 630 or so, uh, they are going to be at the horizon. So uh, that, mm -hmm. that is our mm -hmm. timeline.
for us here. Now, for listeners are, they're going to be um, uh, having times that vary. So just get, get used to when that sun is setting um, and when it's getting dark enough to see the planets and uh, th then just be prepared to start, uh, to start looking for this uh, as soon as the sun uh, has set. So yeah, yeah. anything else to add on the business of the great conjunction function of 2020? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I did, I did check our forecast, Chris, and, uh, right now the cloud forecast is pretty favorable Okay. Uh, for Regina. I think it's about 20% overcast, but like if we were just to even drive to Moose Jaw, which is about, it's a neighboring city about, uh, I don't know, 40 minutes away. Mm. Uh, I think we'd have a hundred percent clear skies, but there we go. What, what is also good news about that is, you know, our clouds usually move from West to East. So because we'd be looking Southwest and looking quite low in the sky, yeah. um, that is even more favorable for us. So yeah. we're looking good, but, um, good. I'll keep my eye on it because that can change. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great, great. Shane. Well, uh, I think that's it for our uh, podcast on the great conjunction uh, for 2020 and, uh, and what, what to look for and what you might expect to see and, and how to see it. Do we want to just give a quick plug for our, our giveaway from the extra observers handbook that, uh, that I, I recently had materialized at my door unexpectedly. Yeah, for sure. So we are giving away one of the, uh, RASCs, so Royal Astronomical Society of Canada, uh, uh observers handbook for 2021. Uh, Chris uh, ended up with a, an extra one, well, an extra couple, and uh, he's, a, he's uh, generously agreed to donate one of these or, you know, give away to one of our listeners. So if you're interested in maybe receiving this, we will do just a random draw, um, I think on January 3rd when we record, so early January. Um, so if you're interested, um, send us an email, actualastronomy at gmail.com. Um, do this by January 1st. And, and what should they what should they write in this email? Yeah, what we're interested in hearing about is um, one of your observing logs. Just send us some notes about an object that you've looked at, or maybe a sketch that you've drawn of an object that you've looked at, or an object you would like to look at. And uh, we love reading about that kind of stuff. And if we get enough submissions, we may turn that into uh, a future episode as well. Yeah, so I am one of the uh, contributing authors of the Observer's Handbook, and as such, I get a editing copy. And uh, some people sell them, some people I, I tend to mark mine up. And uh, yeah, this this year, um, instead of giving my mine away, which I, I frequently do um, because of the pandemic and, and not teaching in-person classes, I'm uh, going to give it away through the podcast. So look forward to reading everybody's submissions and doing the draw on January 3rd. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chris, and good luck to everybody in their attempts to observe this great conjunction. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you would like to ask us questions or leave feedback, you can find us on Twitter. We are at Actual Astronomy, or you can email us. We are actualastronomy at gmail.com. And if you would like to support the podcast with a donation, uh, we are selling merchandise at teespring.com slash stores slash actual astronomy. We wish you all clear and dark skies. <laughs>